Can turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, Abraham is tested. And Ian's going to come and teach us in just a few moments' time. Genesis 22, and then we'll have a couple of verses from Hebrews chapter 11. Genesis 22, in the Red Church Bible, we're on page 22. Genesis 22, verse 1, God's word says, Some time later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you've not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed, stayed in Beersheba. And two verses from Hebrews chapter, 17, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. 
He who had enabled them, he who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. I'd just like to begin by thanking the elders of the church for allowing me to come and preach again this morning. I thank you for the privilege. The 17th century congregational minister John Bunyan spent a total of about 12 years in Bedford Prison for simply preaching the gospel and refusing to stop when ordered to do so. During those difficult times, the enforced separation from his wife and children, and especially his blind daughter Mary, was a continual anguish to his loving heart. For he knew they were suffering miserable poverty whilst he remained in prison and unable to earn a living. His heart was torn between love for his family and love for his Lord and Saviour. If he promised not to preach the gospel, he'd be immediately released and reunited with his family. And yet he knew that to do that would disobey God's call on him to preach. And so his answer was always, release me today and I'll preach tomorrow. If we think that becoming a Christian is a passport to an easy life, then we need to think again. God allows his people's faith to be tested by various challenges and trials so that our faith may be proved to be genuine and in order for our faith to grow and mature as we see that his power is amply sufficient for every situation. Abraham's faith in the Lord was tested, and he didn't always make the right choices. But through those tests, Abraham's faith was being strengthened and deepened as he learned to trust and obey the Lord, whatever the circumstances. But in our Bible passage this morning, Abraham faced what might be considered the ultimate test of his loyalty and obedience to the Lord. We read in chapter 22 and verses 1 and 2, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. The Lord wanted Abraham to sacrifice the son that he and Sarah had waited 25 long years for the one through whom God would fulfill all his promises to Abraham. Now, humanly speaking, that doesn't make sense. Now, we know, of course, that the Lord would not have, would, would, was not going to have Isaac killed, but it was a test of Abraham's 
uh, obedience. But Abraham didn't know that. But Abraham had learnt that when the Lord calls you to do something, he knows best and you need to obey. And so from our text this morning, we learn that Abraham's obedience was firstly immediate. Verse 3, it says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Abraham didn't dilly-dally around, did he? He didn't say, oh, well, Lord, I need to take some time out to think about this, uh, to, to pray about it and seek some counsel. God told him to do something, and he obeyed the very next day. I'm reminded of another incident in Acts chapter 16 when Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen that vision, it says in there, in verse 10 of Acts 16, that we got ready at once, immediately to leave for Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see, both Abraham and Paul had such close personal relationships with the Lord. They trusted him wholeheartedly with their lives, that when they were called to do something, their obedience was immediate. Now, I'm not saying that when we feel called to make an important, life-changing decision, that we shouldn't take time to prayerfully consider and seek counsel from wise Christians that we trust. But there are many commands in Scripture that we should learn to obey immediately if we really love the Lord. Standards of behavior and morals our calling to love one another and to serve one another in many practical ways, our calling to be a witness for Christ to others, and so on. As one writer puts it, a postponed obedience is usually no obedience. And I think it's worth saying at this point that God would never call us to do something that goes against scripture. So if we're not sure, first port of call is to look and see what the Bible has to say. It was an immediate obedience. Secondly, Abraham's obedience was sustained. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. From Abraham's first calling some 40 years previously when he obeyed the call to leave his homeland, right up to this present test when he traveled for three days to his destination, Abraham's life was characterized by sustained obedience. On this occasion, Abraham could have walked towards Moriah the first day but then had second thoughts overnight and, and turned back and not completed the task. 
But he kept going in sustained obedience to God's call to complete the mission. And we also need to understand that as Christians, we are in it for the long haul. We are pilgrims till we die, if you like. Listen to the writers of the Hebrews on this in chapter 12 and verse 1. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Inevitably, we'll have times of doubt and discouragement. But let's keep going in our walk with Christ. Keep loving him. Keep serving him in sustained obedience through the good times and the bad times. And we'll learn that he'll never fail us if we keep trusting and obeying. The third point I'd like to make about Abraham's obedience is that it was a willing obedience. Neil Martin, who was the former MP for Banbury, was once giving a group of his constituents a guided tour of the Houses of Parliament. During the visit, the group happened to meet Lord Hailsham, then Lord Chancellor, wearing all the regalia of his office. Lord Hailsham recognised Neil Martin amongst the group and cried, Neil! Well, not daring to question or disobey the command, the entire band of visitors promptly fell to their knees. Now, I don't know whether that was willing or unwilling obedience to the command to kneel. But in Abraham's case, whilst we don't know the thoughts that were swirling around his head during that journey, we don't get the impression that it was an unwilling obedience to God. Contrast Abraham's attitude with Jonah. When the Lord asked him to preach repentance of sins to the people of Nineveh, he firstly fled in the opposite direction. And later, when he did reluctantly preach and they repented, he was angry that God should graciously spare those wicked Gentiles. Sometimes we may obey something in Scripture outwardly, and yet inwardly, we're resisting every step. But obedience through gritted teeth, if you like, is not how the Lord wants us to, to, to behave. And our supreme example in this is surely our Lord Jesus, who willingly humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Abraham's obedience was willing. Fourthly, Abraham's obedience was settled. Note the calm, assured way that Abraham spoke to his servants in verse 5. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. 
We will worship and then we will come back to you. There was nothing in his words to alarm the servants, nothing to make them doubt that he knew precisely what he was doing and why he was doing it. And then when Isaac asked about the lamb for the sacrifice, Abraham's words in verse 8 were similarly calm and reassuring. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. You see, Abraham was settled in his mind about obeying the Lord in this matter. He fully believed that God was in control of the situation and would somehow work everything out, even though he may not have fully understood at this point how it was going to happen. But what about us? Although we may want to obey God willingly, all too often we can be bombarded by, by doubts, by contradictory thoughts and fears, so that we lack that peace and assurance about what we're doing. Why? Because our minds aren't fully fixed on God. But we always seem to have one eye on the world so that we're unsettled by the world, even whilst we're striving to obey what the Lord wants us to do. And the answer is to be found in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. I'm reminded of Peter, who tried to walk to Jesus on Lake Galilee. But as soon as he looked away from the Lord and saw the waves pounding around him, he panicked and started to sink. And the lesson for us is this. We need to stay focused on the Lord and not, and not be distracted by what's happening around us. Because he knows what he's doing and he won't fail us. It was a settled obedience Abraham trusted the Lord and knew that God would work things out. Fifthly, he had, it was, Abraham's obedience was contagious. Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, many years had passed since the banishment of Hagar and Ishmael in chapter 21. And Isaac was now a young man, perhaps in his 20s. A man who could easily overpower his father and walk away. But he didn't. Instead, he followed his father's example of obedience to God's command. And I love that phrase at the end of verse 8. And the two of them went on together. What a beautiful picture of father and son united in obeying God's command, whatever the outcome was going to be. Abraham's obedience was contagious. As Isaac also learned obedience from his father's example. 
And may that be the same for us here. That we obey the Lord so well that others also learn to obey him through our example. And as a result, we also go on together, united in fulfilling God's plans and purposes for us as a fellowship. And then sixthly, we see that Abraham's obedience was rewarded. Verses 10 to 12. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Because of Abraham's unswerving obedience, God spoke to him again and voiced, firstly, his fresh approval to Abraham for passing this test. That Abraham was willing to give up even his one and only son. And for us also, we're to live in a way that first and foremost pleases the Lord rather than pleases others. And what could be more thrilling and rewarding for the Christian than at the end of our lives to be welcomed into heaven with something like those words from Matthew chapter 25 and verse 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. There was fresh approval uh, uh, to Abraham. Abraham was also privileged to learn a fresh name for God. Look at verses 13 and 14. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now the name there was Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will see to it, or the Lord will provide. You see, at just the right moment, God provided a substitute for Isaac. Someone in Isaac's place, so that he was saved from death. The Lord will provide. The founder of the China Inland Mission, J. Hudson Taylor, used to hang in his home a plaque with two Hebrew words on it, Ebenezer and Jehovah Jireh. Ebenezer means, thus far has the Lord helped us. And Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, for the Lord will see to it. You see, whether he looked back or looked ahead, Hudson Taylor knew that the Lord was at work and he had nothing to fear. 
Abraham learned a fresh name for God. And thirdly, Abraham also received a fresh assurance of God's promises to him. Verses 16 to 18. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Notice there that God swore by himself because there's no one greater than himself to swear by. And he swore that a great nation would be descended from Abraham and Isaac and that all nations on earth will be blessed. Verse 18. How? Through his descendant, the Lord Jesus the one who grants forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all who believe in him. This experience of Abraham and Isaac is a picture of what would happen 2,000 years later at Calvary. Indeed, some writers suggest that Mount Moriah, where this incident occurred, is actually in the same place that Jesus was crucified. And just as Isaac was willing to submit to his father and be sacrificed, so God the Son was willing to submit to God the Father's will that he be sacrificed. As Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark chapter 14 and verse 36, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. At the very last moment, God stopped Abraham from slaying his son and provided a substitute of a ram, which was caught in a bush by its horns. But Jesus went all the way to the cross and died. Why? Because he is our substitute. Just as the ram died instead of Isaac... So Christ has died instead of you and me. Let me explain that a little. The Bible is clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that includes every single one of us in this room. None of us can come anywhere near the perfection of God. And therefore, we must one day stand before him as condemned sinners. And Romans 6 and verse 23 says that the wages, the penalty of sin, is death. Not merely physical death, although that is one part of it, but eternal death. Conscious separation from God in a terrible place that the Bible calls the lake of fire or hell. Now that's bad news. 
But the good news is found in the second part of Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. But, goes on Paul, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Jesus suffered and died upon the cross, bearing the punishment your sin and my sin fully deserves, so that we can be spared the eternal consequences of our sins. You see, he died in your place and in my place as our substitute. He died instead of us. And the prophet Isaiah puts it beautifully in Isaiah chapter 53 and verses 5 and 6. Isaiah 53 verses 5 and 6. But Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Imagine how Abraham felt as he traveled to the place of sacrifice with his son. On the one hand, he'd been told to offer his son as a sacrifice, whilst on the other hand, this was the son through whom would come millions of descendants and be a blessing to the world. How could this be? Well, the conclusion that Abraham came to is revealed in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 19. We read there, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham believed that God could and would miraculously raise Isaac from the dead. And in doing so, he demonstrated remarkable faith in God's power, since there's no record in Scripture of a previous physical resurrection. And therefore, when he said to his servants in verse 5, we will worship and then we will come back to you, he truly believed it. He truly believed that God could do that. And whilst Isaac wasn't literally physically resurrected, in Abraham's mind, he was as good as dead. When God intervened and provided the ram instead of Isaac. And so, figuratively, in a manner of speaking, he was raised from death. Having given him up to the Lord, Abraham received him back again. But Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was literal and physical. As it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 3 and 4. 
1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And the fact of Jesus' bodily resurrection is the proof, amongst other things, that our sin debt has been paid in full. It is by this act that God declared to the universe, I have accepted the sacrifice of my one and only son as permanently satisfactory for your sin. And therefore, because of Jesus' resurrection, we can know with certainty that the believer's sins have been forgiven and washed away forever and the Lord will never hold them against us. Somebody once put it like this. By his shed blood, Jesus wrote the check as full payment for our sins. But the check was accepted and cashed by God the Father when Jesus was raised back to life. And Vernon McGee wrote that the arch of the gospel rests on two great pillars, the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Remove one of these pillars and our faith comes crashing down. If Christ had not died as our substitute, the penalty for your sin and mine would not have been paid and we would still be spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins separated from God and under his condemnation. But Jesus did die in our place so that we might receive complete forgiveness when we turn to him alone to save us. But then if Christ had not risen from the dead, what assurance and hope would you and I have of eternal life after death? Well, we'd have none at all. But he did rise from the dead, proving that there is life beyond the grave. Eternal life in heaven for those who trust him, but eternal condemnation for those who do not. And so my closing question to you this morning is this. Do you believe this morning in your heart that Christ is your substitute, that he bore your sins and the punishment that you and I deserve on the cross as he suffered and bled and died. But then he was gloriously resurrected and he lives today in heaven at the right-hand side of the Father until his coming again as judge. And so are you trusting only in him this morning as your Savior and Lord? If you're not sure about that, or you know that you're not, then now is the time to act whilst you still have the opportunity. And I would say to you, well, Speak to one of the church leaders about this before you leave, because this is so important. 
You have to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. You need to know for sure in your heart this morning that your sins have been washed away and that you have eternal life. A free gift that is received through faith in the one who died as your substitute, was buried and rose gloriously again. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we're reminded once again this morning of your amazing love and grace towards us in that you were prepared to sacrifice your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, upon the cross, that he shed his blood, that he suffered and died as our substitute so that we might receive the gift of eternal life. Father, we thank you for your love in being willing and, and, do, and in doing that for us. Lord, how else can we respond but in turning in repentance and faith to the one who died, was buried, and rose again? Lord, speak to our hearts. May each one of us know for sure this morning that you are our Savior and our Lord. And we praise and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.